It's New Comics Day, Wednesday, March 29th, 2017, and you're listening to God and Comics, the show where we imagine what amazing theological constructs would have come from St. Augustine if he had only had a Green Lantern power ring. <laughs> On today's show, teams. We talk about why we love superhero team-ups, what makes for a good team story, and what our own dream teams would look like. Plus, we'll have our recommendation, this or that, and a whole lot more. I'm your host, Father Jonathan Michikin. I am rector of Church of the Holy Comforter in Drexel Hill, Pennsylvania. On the line with me today is Father Kyle Tomlin. Father Kyle, where are you? I'm at Church of the Messiah in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And also on the line today is Father Matt Stromberg. Father Matt, where are you? I'm at St. George's Episcopal Church in Schenectady, New York. And it's a pleasure to see you guys. Now, if we sound a little bit different today, it's because we've had some issues with some of our recording equipment, so we're using a a different program to record ourselves with today. Uh, Hopefully this will turn out okay. Might have a few editing bugs as we go. But we're actually hoping to step our game up here at God and Comics because we know, you know, this is no mere amateur operation here, right? I mean, we're we're going for uh, uh, going for the best that we can that we can do. Uh, and so, very soon, um, we are planning to launch a Patreon page where you'll have the opportunity, if you are so moved, um, to contribute a little something to the show. Uh, and our promise is that anything that gets contributed, we will put towards making the show better, making it sound better, uh, giving us more opportunities to do cool stuff with it. Uh, that's our plan with it. So uh, look forward to that coming in, in the near future. Uh, but for now, let's get into our recommendation. Father Matt, what are we recommending this time out? Well, I, I'd like to recommend a, a book that's been around for quite a while. It's been around since 1995. It's, it was sort of a milestone in, in the history of, uh, uh, of, of comic book uh, publications. And it's called Stuck Rubber Baby. And the author and the illustrator is Howard Cruz. Howard Cruz was uh, an underground comic book uh, artist. Uh, he, he published with, with Kitchen Sink and, and a lot of kind of like independent and underground publishing companies. And this was his first graphic novel. And it, it kind of followed on the new interest in the medium after, um, after Mouse won the, uh, the Pulitzer Prize. And this one, it, it reads like a memoir. Um, in fact, I thought it, 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 it was a memoir, but it, it's actually, um, it's, it's a fictionalized story that is sort of based on, on Howard Cruz's experiences growing up in the 60s, in the 50s and 60s in, in the South, especially during the time of the Civil Rights Movement. And so the, the main character in this story is, is, is Toland Polk, and, and he's sort of narrating the story. And he grew up uh, like Cruz in the South, and he, uh, Toland Polk, Uh, is a gay man and it's sort of deals with his awakening and and sort of his his coming to terms with his own sexuality and and, you know what that means for his life but it also is set 
in the background of the civil rights movement. And so after his, his parents die, Toland moves to the fictional kind of southern town of, of, of I think it's called Claypool. And, and um, he's working at a gas station and uh, trying to figure out who he is. And he doesn't have much direction in life. But he's kind of running away from his sexuality and sort of he's very much a closeted gay man. He meets this uh, woman whose name is Ginger. She reminds me of like Joan Baez. You know, she's this earnest, you know, activist, a folk singer, a very gifted, very bright, very politically engaged. And he sort of sees Ginger as, as his opportunity to to you know have a normal life you know he, he sees her as someone that perhaps he can he can fall in love with and and eventually marry and so he he begins dating ginger for that reason and not revealing to her that that he's actually gay and through his relationship with ginger he is brought into the civil rights movement and becomes involved in, in, in local political movements, especially around integration. He joins this group called the Equality League and sort of experiences uh, up front the struggle uh, of a lot of African-American uh, people. You know, and he's, you know, a typical Southern boy. He sort of has this ambivalent past. But also through that, he meets a lot of uh, people who are out and, and gay, and, and he kind of tries to wrestle with, you know, what should he do with his life? One of one of which is, is uh, his friend Sammy No One, who is uh, an organist in, in uh, Trinity Episcopal Church, and, and sort of, and he sees sort of he he's very out front about his own sexuality, and that's sort of challenging for, for Howard. But so so this is, uh, it's, it's very much a character study. This is a literary, quite sophisticated graphic novel. I think it, 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 it's the kind of graphic novel that I would recommend to someone who is not a comic book fan, but is curious about maybe some of the potential of, of the medium. This is sort of outside the box of what you typically expect from a comic book. It's you know it's it, it's it's a drama. It's got historical elements. The artwork is quite well done. It's it's sort of done in this in, in a kind of cartoonish manner, but it's very uh, also kind of has some naturalistic elements. It's it, there's this kind of very dense stippling and, and cross hatching work done that, that that's very effective. The, the the book was sort of controversial because you know it it deals very frankly with with the topic of homosexuality and it does contain some sexual scenes. So this is very much an adult book. I, I feel like we need to say that with comic books because comic books are are, are, are still largely considered you know a, a, an adolescent medium and in fact the controversy around this book came because it was being put in in the young adult section in public libraries and, and this is not a, a story for for younger readers uh definitely not it's been the inspiration for some more uh contemporary works in a similar vein uh, we we've talked uh, on the podcast before about Alison 
Betzel's uh, work and, and Fun I was, Home. And I was just going to ask if it was similar to Fun Home in some ways. Yeah, it, very much so. I mean, obviously, it, it, it is. It was a source of inspiration. I think uh, Alison Betzel has, has has spoken of her indebtedness to this particular work. Uh, it is a kind of milestone in, in, in comic book storytelling. It, it, it's become something of a, of a cult classic. So, but it was new to me. I'm not quite. I'm almost finished it, so I can't say it. Maybe the ending's horrible <laughs> because I, I haven't finished it yet. But um, it, it, it's really quite good and very well done. It will be challenging to some of our our, our listeners because it, it, it tells us a, a very personal story about people who who maybe live a very different lifestyle than a lot of our listeners, but. I think that's part of the power uh, of this story. It, it it's written with so much pathos that it really draws you into, you know, the struggles and, and life experiences of these characters in a very moving and and, and uh, profound way. Turns out the very ending uh, of the story it was all a dream. Whole thing oh, was really? A dream. Okay. Yeah. 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 It took place in a snow globe that a kid was looking into. Oh wow! And it and it turns out that he's actually dead. That's right. He's been dead yeah. the whole time. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Well, <laughs> now I don't even need to finish it. <laughs> All of those things happen at once. <laughs> so, and now we're going to turn to our main conversation for today. And our main conversation today is going to be on teams. Since, actually, really, since the very beginning of the superhero genre in comic books in the, um, in the forties, uh, we've had superhero team ups. I mean, you have the justice society, uh, going back a a pretty long way. You get, uh, certainly in the, the kind of rise of, of Marvel in the sixties, you get the Avengers and so on and so forth. So there's always been this kind of hunger, uh, or at least market for team ups and so I just want to start by asking you guys why you think that is. What is so exciting about the idea of a superhero team-up? You know, I think one of the elements that makes superhero team-up stories so exciting is that you, you get to witness people with different giftings and different powers interacting with one another who may not typically interact with one another. You know, that always sets up an element of excitement within a story. I mean, you take a pairing of someone like Batman, who's, you know, a normal human being and pair him with someone like Superman. And you've got two people from a distinctly different ends of the spectrum and how they find a place to work together in the middle of all that. It just lends a a measure of intrigue. Yeah. I mean, I I think it's sort of like the classic, uh, you know, like in, in film, the buddy movie, you know, where you throw together an odd couple and, and, and see how they bounce off of each other. I mean, with with with, uh, with some superhero teams, I think that's the kind of draw. But it appeals to the kind of competitive drive in a lot of this as well. I mean, if if you get together with with a bunch of young kids that are big comic book fans, one of the main kind of topics of discussion is. You know, who would win in a battle against two? You know, like, could Superman take the Hulk? You know, how would that work out? And so I think in a, in a lot of superhero team-ups, it's almost a cliche. 
it always starts out they have to fight first. There has to be a battle. So, like, if, it, if it's like a famous crossover, uh, Spider-Man uh, and Superman, you know, which which was a great world colliding, thrilling team up, you know, that that just never would have normally happened because they're from two different companies. The main thing that I think a lot of people want to see is, you know, can Spider-Man stand up against Superman, you know? So there, there's that. There's the kind of, like, how do they measure up to each other? But also, it, it sort of it brings together uh, two books that you might really enjoy. I really enjoy reading Spider-Man. I really enjoy reading Daredevil, you know, and, and here's an opportunity to see them together. And that's exciting. And it's also an opportunity to be exposed to a new character that you may never have, have, have been into before. Um, and I think this is a lot of times the way team-ups are, are, are used. It's to kind of cross-fertilize, introduce readers to new characters. So the Green Lantern shows up in Batman. And if, if you're a big Batman fan, it might be your first encounter with the Green Lantern. And you might say, you know, well, this is a, he's a pretty cool character. Let me check out his book. You know, that's kind of the, the interest it's always had for me. Of course, the cynical way of interpreting that would be uh, it is an opportunity for the companies to sell more books to you by... Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah, crossing <laughs> oh, over. absolutely, yeah. I mean, there's a marketing strategy there for sure. Yeah. Um, but it yeah, works. I, it works. They sell more books it, it that way. It absolutely does, yeah. It, I mean, you know, and that's the way it worked with, like, in Spider-Man... The first issue of Spider-Man's own book, they put the Fantastic Four on the cover because it was the Fantastic Four already had an audience. And mm -hmm. it, it was a way sure. of saying, like, hey, you like our Fantastic Four book? Check out Spider-Man, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, I think it was a good observation on your part, Matt, to say that um, when you have these kind of team-up books, there's always the ground leveling first, right, where the heroes come <laughs> together and you got to see where everybody's boundaries are, who's going to be the lead in the team, as it were, or... Who's um, the alpha man? Who's the know, alpha male, the correct. The alpha hero. <laughs> yeah, and then once that kind of reckoning happens and everything gets settled, then you start to see some different interactions out of the characters. I think it's interesting because you look back um, at that, you pointed out the Marvel-DC crossovers that took place in the 70s. And in some senses, those crossovers initially had that component, right? Who's the better hero in the midst of all of it? And Marvel and DC revisited that a little bit in the uh, 1990s, along with Image Comics. DC started to cross over with Image, and Marvel did a little bit of that as well. There was an explosion of those kind of inter-company crossovers. Right. I remember reading Batman and Spawn and... Who else, like Batman and Daredevil, came out then? And oh, my there's... gosh. There was Superman and Mad Men. <laughs> yeah, right. Mike Allred. There was... Um... Iron Lantern. Wasn't there an uh -oh. Iron Lantern book? Oh, well, then there was, in addition to to that, they, they started to do, like, these character mashups. Yeah. Right? And that got kind of silly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Where it's like, okay, no, it's not enough to stab the team up. Let's 
combined them into one character. So they had the Super Soldier, which was like a mashup of Superman and Captain America. Mm. Um, and then they did it within the company. So yeah, you had Batman, Iron Man mashup, or Batman, uh, Green Lantern uh, mashup. There's a Superman Green Lantern mashup too, which was kind of amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, then you get you really get into the geeky territory there. <laughs> well, it, it, l- let me let me suggest another idea, and you guys tell me if I'm off base with this. I think everything you've been saying is correct, and at a certain base fundamental level, I think the real answer to the question is because it looks cool, right? I yeah. It's not a sophisticated yeah. answer, but there's. <laughs> But there's certainly some truth to it, you know, like part of the reason you read comics is because they look cool. Superheroes look cool. And so if you can get several of these characters together, it looks even cooler. But I wonder if there's not, along with all of these other motivations that are real motivations, I wonder if there's not some sort of unconscious desire for learning something about what makes communities work. Uh, happening yeah, I there. was thinking about that. That's a, an interesting point you raise. As, as I was thinking about the show in preparation for the show today, I think one of the things that is um, fundamentally true, I mean, from a theological perspective, right, what is fundamentally true is that we are not made to be solitary creatures. We are made to be uh, in fellowship with one another, to have community with one another. And um, I know there's been a lot more of an emphasis of that in modern-day Christianity, um, kind of tracing back to our early roots. And I think some of that does play out within the comic book realm, because the reality is that one hero, while he may be effective, is not totally complete. He doesn't really have all that's necessary to be the perfect hero, even Superman, right? I mean, Superman's kind of the ideal hero, uh, but even he is not complete, and he needs the help of other people. And so, you know, team-ups give a sense of that. In fact, one of the things that strikes me right now in talking about this is there's, um, in the current run of Astro City, in issue number 26, which is the, um, like, the 20th anniversary issue for Astro City Comics, uh, it's a return to the first issue of Astro City where Samaritan, who's kind of the Superman analog, has a dream of flying. And they revisit this topic, and it turns out in issue 26 that Samaritan is having nightmares now instead of the dreams that he had in issue one. And so in the course of trying to figure out what the source of the nightmares are, he has to undergo some testing. But his great fear is that if he goes away, everything will fall apart. So he has to recognize while he's under and they're doing the studying on him that all the other heroes of Astro City can actually step in as his community and take care of everything. And uh, I thought it did a great job of painting that picture of the fact that we're not meant to be alone. We need to have others around us and that others can actually carry the weight sometimes when we're not as effective. Yeah, I mean, there's also the issue of accountability, right? I mean, you have a character like Superman, like the Samaritan, that have these like godlike abilities. What happens if uh, if if Superman goes bad? Batman's who, always got kryptonite. He, yeah, he always does, right? I mean, uh, who uh, or, or who's going to keep them on on the straight and narrow? 
you know, it, it always seemed like Superman was always kind of uh, Batman's conscience in, 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 in certain respects. Batman had a tendency to go rogue and maybe be a little, you know, shiftier and, and, and or Superman sort of pulled him back. Or, I mean, the classic kind of odd couple is also the Green uh, Lantern and the Green Arrow. They, they made these characters representative of kind of two poles on the cultural, political perspective. The Green Lantern was more of the conservative, straight-laced guy, and, and, and the Green Arrow was more of the, the liberal, kind of radical, hippie type. And they sort of balance each other out and, and sort of serve as a kind of, you know, accountability to one another in, in certain respects. Which even goes back to, you know, the biblical idea of the creation of man and woman, that there's a sense of incompleteness, right? And they're kind of playing off that theme with a lot of team-ups so that they find the one piece that the other hero's missing and fit them together, you know, and vice versa, and then fit them together. And I think you're right. There's something... You know, the classic team-up of Batman and Superman, there's always something that Superman has that Batman doesn't have, and Batman has something that Superman doesn't have. And as I said at the very beginning, I think there's something intriguing about that completion of the two of them. Well, you're, you're anticipating my next question very well, which is what makes for a good team? If you're putting together a superhero team or a superhero team story, what should you be thinking about in terms of creating that team? I think that opposite effect is part of what really works well. You know, I think one of the one of my favorite modern day team up books is the Spider Man Deadpool team up uh-huh. book that's out now. That what is it? Ed Ed Kelly and Joe um, Joe McGinnis are doing, and um, or I think I have that backwards. Joe Kelly and Ed McGinnis. I think that book's great because we classically think of Spider-Man as being the guy who is, you know, the master of witticism and sort of the lighthearted hero. And what they've done is they've brought in Deadpool, who's the flip opposite of Spider-Man in a lot of ways, because he's a lot more gritty and dark and dirty. And it's interesting how in putting them together, you find that they, they work well off each other and they almost recast each other in the opposite role throughout the story. So there's something quite fascinating about the fact that these are two very opposite characters, and yet they work together not just in an obvious way, but they kind of play off each other in a new way. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's what makes a good team-up story. Yeah, well, I mean, I think conflict is part of the drama. You know, if you had a superhero team and they all loved each other and they all got along splendidly, it would just be kind of, you know, okay... Yeah, kind of boring. But I think some of the best teams that you think of, where it's kind of the, 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 the books that kind of, kind of took the idea of the superhero team to a new level beyond just let's put as many superheroes on the team together and see as many colorful costumes as possible, was uh, like the, the first one I could think of is, is, is the Fantastic Four which is sort of like Marvel's response to um, the Justice League, which had been uh, a popular book. If, if you read the oldest Fantastic Four books, it's really sort of pronounced that what Lee and Kirby were going for was, okay, th- this is going to be a team of superheroes, but they're going to have like 
feet of clay. They're going to like have all sort of sorts of dysfunctional family dynamics. You know, they're always going to be threatening to split apart and fighting amongst each other. And there's going to be personality clashes and conflict. The the thing is always fighting with the human torch and, and the thing and, and Mr. Fantastic. Well, they're, they're best friends, but they're also from the other side of the tracks from one another. Ben Grimm's sort of the working class, gruff kind of jock, and, and, and Reed Richards is the brainiac. And then, and, and, you know, and, and there's going to be uh, love triangles. The woman on the team is going to be competing for the affections of, uh, of the different characters. The woman on the team. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, the woman on the team. The one woman that they put on the every to- team. The token yeah. woman. Much like Justice League with Wonder Woman. Much like Justice League with Wonder Woman. Well, and, and of course, in the beginning with the Justice Society, she was always like not able to go on missions and stuff because she would have to type up the mi- minutes from the last meeting. Like it's, <laughs> it's it's really ridiculous if you look at it. Some of those yeah, really old yeah. books. But so what what you're saying, I think, is is really true, Father Matt. The the conflict being part of the issue here, and and actually to to widen that even a little more. Uh, I would say it's it's character itself that becomes the issue if you're putting together a team, which is in some ways a little counterintuitive. I think a lot of people would think or would say, well, if you're putting together a superhero team, you want to put the coolest combination of powers together, you know, whose superpowers connect together in the best possible way. And not that there's nothing to that, but I think actually the best stories tend to be when the characters, the personalities go together uh, in a certain way. To throw a, a few different examples out of this, this first one is, is not really a superhero example, but I think it works. So I am the resident uh, Star Trek nerd on God and Comics. One of the strange distinctions of Star Trek is that it's one of the few shows in television history that got to make two pilots. They made one pilot. It did not work. And the studio actually said, here's more money. Go make another pilot. And so Roddenberry scrubbed what he'd had, created all new characters for the most part, with the exception of Spock. And even Spock, he redid considerably and tried again. And the big difference between the first round and the second round is not that he had better actors or anything, but he just had a different sort of chemistry between the actors and a different sort of chemistry uh, in terms of the story, particularly in the interaction between Captain Kirk, Mr. Spock, and Dr. McCoy. Here you have Mr. Spock, who's pure logic. You have Dr. McCoy, who's pure emotionalism, right? He's dead, Jim. You know, he's just kind of frothing with it. And Kirk becomes this character in the middle of those two who's trying to direct that energy, taking a little of the one and a little of the other, and I think that's part of why it works. Uh, similarly, I think when DC has done its its thing with, with the trinity of Superman and Wonder Woman and Batman, it either really works well or it doesn't work at all, and I think that the determining factor on that is whether or not they're focusing in on the difference between personalities of those three characters or just the sort of power differential between those three characters. Um, I think it works far better when it's when it's character based, even if it's conflict based. So something like Infinite Crisis, 
you know, they're against each other, but part of that has to do with their personalities being against each other, not just their powers. Whereas the current Trinity book uh, that, that Francis Manipal is doing, it's not bad, but it doesn't quite... It doesn't quite hit the notes that I would like it to hit because it seems to sort of just be focused on, hey, we've got these different powers, you know, isn't that neat? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I think a lot of successful teams do this. I think the Avengers certainly do this, especially in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, have that back and forth. One of the best examples I thought of, though, is actually the Green Lantern Corps. And I think it's a great example there because here you've got a bunch of people who all have the same powers. <laughs> right? They're all uh, using the same power ring. So how do you make an interesting story out of that? Well, you do it by having different personalities thrown together that have to figure it out. Ultimately, Green Lantern is basically a cop story. That's what it is, right? They're, they're right. intergalactic police officers. So, you know, what, whatever makes law and order work is going <laughs> to make Green Lantern work at some level. So you have at the center of that Hal Jordan who is, uh, he's kind of like Captain Kirk in a lot of ways, actually. He's a hot shot. He's uh, super talented, but he's also brash and arrogant and doesn't always know what he's getting himself into. But he's, he's kind of the centerpiece. Then off of, them, off of him, you play Kilowog, who is loyal and strong and talks really tough, but he's kind of a gentle giant. Then you get Jon Stewart into the mix, John Stewart is, you know, Marine. He's uh, by the book. He would be the police officer. He'd be like, no, we can't do it like that. We have to do it like this, you know. And then later throw in Guy Gardner, who is pure id. Pure id, right? Pure just like adrenaline. He's like the younger version of Hal Jordan with no constraints. <laughs> And so all of a sudden that changes Hal Jordan's character a little bit because he's got to figure out how to deal with this hot-headed uh, former Baltimore City cop who's become a part of their, their interaction. So I, I really, I think that's the centerpiece. It's, it's character, character, character. Just as an interjection, have any of you guys read that you mentioned the Green Lantern as a cop story? Have, have any of you read the, um, the book Top Ten? by Alan Moore, which is explicitly about, like, superhero cop teams. It's like a mashup of, uh, of like, the Justice League and, like, Law and Order. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's very good. It's very good. And a lot, a lot of great character dynamics in, in that book as well. Father Jonathan, to your point about the, the conflict, one of the, to me, one of the best superhero team books ever was what's commonly referred to now as the Bwahaha Justice League, the Justice League relaunch after the crisis on Infinite Earths where Blue yeah. Beetle and Booster Gold always ended up cracking up with the Bwahahas. But that book, <laughs> to me, is, uh, is one of the finest examples of a team book and that how conflict makes everything go. They took the most random smattering of heroes in the DC Universe at that point in time and put them together and forced them to be on a team so that you had Batman leading a team that had Guy Gardner, speaking of Guy Gardner, on there, and which leads to the great scene in issue number six where Batman punches him in the nose um, <laughs> because he's just sick of him. And there's just, you know, Martian Manhunter and Black Canary and Shazam 
and as I said, Blue Beetle and Booster Gold, and you've got Big Barda, who's Mr. Miracle's wife, and Mr. Miracle on there, and Oberon, and just this great collection of people who don't belong together. That's the short of it. And they're trying to find a way forward as a team, and it's the joy of seeing the conflict that arises, but it's also the joy of seeing the community that builds, the connections that come together between those heroes, uh, especially between Blue Beetle and Booster Gold, who, you know, before that don't really have any interaction with one another. It's just a wonderful book to me of all that encapsulates a team. Well, and that's what you need. You need you need stories that can bring that out. I mean, I think one of the mistakes that, that writers sometimes get into when they, they do these team books, especially when it's events, this seems to happen, but, uh, but sometimes in the team books themselves, is they write stories that are really just geared to be opportunities for us to see these characters fight, either with each other or with the big bad guy, and it's just like, let's create as many cool splash pages as we possibly can of, of these characters fighting, and, and that's fun and all, but you forget that five minutes after you've looked at it. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, the stuff that lasts is when there are opportunities created in the story for these characters to have to overcome a challenge together, to have to figure out something together, and to see their personalities playing off of each other in ways that strengthen them. And there again is that community thing that we were talking about that strengthened the community that they didn't even necessarily want to be a part of in the beginning, uh, but that they become loyal to, you know, and you become loyal to it by watching them become loyal to it. Right. I I mean, I think one of the best teen books has got to be the X-Men. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. And and, and one of the things that makes the X-Men so compelling is not just that there's like a lot of really cool characters with, different kinds of powers and and that's certainly part of it but you have these people who have like a a common experience of being sort of on the outside being marginalized and they're from like wildly different backgrounds you know they're from wildly different age groups and, and and they're they're all they all kind of have this common experience and 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 they're learning to navigate the world you know together there's a camaraderie that exists in, in your one. You're you're like me, you know. We have this common experience. That's really powerful. There's a number of books that work that way. I mean, the the Doom Patrol was sort of developed a, a, around the same time as the X Men, and it played on, on on that same kind of idea of this band of misfits who are a team together. Some, some of that, I think, can speak to us about Christian discipleship. Um, oh, absolutely. If we think about what the church is meant to be and, and how the church is meant to be, and this idea of, you know, we may not have anything in common, <laughs> and yet we're thrown together uh, because of a commonality. In the case of the church, the commonality, hopefully, is discipleship, is, is being followers of Jesus Christ. But we may be from vastly different backgrounds, and yet that mutual commitment ought to be what holds us together. Uh, but it's, it's also one of the reasons why I find the modern phenomenon of church shopping to be, to be very problematic. Um, I don't mean for theological reasons. Obviously, 
you have to follow your conscience on that. But I mean, the, the kind of church shopping that most people do in America now is more about this, this one has a, has a more fun music program than the other one. Uh, well, I let, you know, I, I don't like the pastor's uh, voice at this place. So I like it at that place. Um, you know, that they, uh, they told me I couldn't paint the door red and I wanted it to be red, but it was green. And so I, you know, I left the church like that kind of thing just dovetails with American consumerism and individualism and completely loses the commonality that's supposed to be what brings us together. We're supposed to actually overcome those divisions. And too often today, I think we, uh, we accentuate them. Yeah, I mean, yeah. part of part of uh, how we are made holy is by needing to share a pew with someone who's just completely obnoxious to you in every way, <laughs> and, 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 or you know, needing to serve on vestry with someone who's just so different from you. And, and you know, how how are you going to learn to deal with that? I mean, there's an easy way out. I mean, you could you could leave. Uh, you could you could find a more homogenous type community, but part of the adventure and excitement of Christian discipleship is you know the same things that sort of make team books exciting. It is this conflict, but working together, you know, and finding a common purpose and mission that's bigger than our conflict, and learning to maybe grow as, as individuals because of that. Well, so uh, this is this has been a really great discussion, but be- before we uh, wrap it up, I really do want to see what everybody's dream team would look like. This was something we had been talking about outside of this, and of course, uh, you know, everybody wishes they could put together their dream team. So I- I've got my list. Uh, I don't know if you guys have thought of yours. I know you've been sort of. I'm not. I'm not too you're not, sure. But go you're ahead, not ready. Go ahead. Well, I tell you what, I'll go first, and that'll give you guys some time to uh, to okay. to make sure you know what yours are. So mine, I actually thought of what the theme would be. So I, I really, you know, especially after our recent discussion about detective stories, uh, I really like mystery. And so uh, I decided that what I would do for my dream team was to create a, a, a team that would, would solve mysteries together. And uh, I've decided it's uh, it's going to be called Detective Squad because uh, there are far too few squads, as far as I'm concerned, in current superhero <laughs> comics. And, uh, you know, no barriers, of course, for universe or company or anything like that. And so here here's my lineup. Jessica Jones, obviously. Jessica Jones. <laughs> Batman. Because he's the world's greatest detective. You can't have a detective squad that Batman's not on. That's right. You know, the funny thing about Batman is he's he's terrible at teamwork, and yet he shows up on every team. Have you noticed that? Yes. <laughs> he's like always yes. there. Beast, I thought would be great on this team. because Interesting. Beast, yeah. You know, I'm not always like a big Beast fan, but I think Beast is is super intelligent, so he would be good for this. But in a different way than Batman, like he's more just plain analytical, um, whereas Batman tends to be kind of driven by his uh, passions a little bit more. Spider-Woman, particularly the current incarnation of Spider-Woman as a kind of uh, street-level 
you know, riding a motorcycle kind of, I feel like she would be the one who could go around and gather a lot of evidence and stuff, you know. Plus, it'd be interesting to see her interplay with Jessica Jones. Here you'd have these two moms, you know, with superpowers. Be interesting. Yeah, yeah, you um, know what, I, I, th- I, uh, I, I think... Uh, well, I've got two more. Sort of based on Spider, like I think the original plan was to sort of make that a Spider Woman. Well, you know what's what's interesting about that too is so of course in the television show Jessica Jones's best friend is Patsy Walker, but in the comic her best friend is Captain Marvel, um, Carol, or who's now Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers, and they didn't do that in the show because I think they're holding on to Captain Marvel for a later piece of the franchise, but. What's developed in the comic book since that time is that Carol Danvers and uh, and Spider Woman have become best friends, and so there could be an interesting kind of friendship triangle there. Um, you know, when Carol comes to visit or whatever. Um, but so my my final two would be the Flash, both because of his uh, Barry Allen's Flash, both because of his his um, you know experience with uh, evidence, crime lab, and so forth, uh, and for comic relief. You gotta have somebody for comic relief. And my final one, this is a little outside the box, but I like it. Saint Walker. Do you guys know Saint Walker at all? Uh-huh. He, he is a character from um, from the la- the Green Lantern universe. He's not a Green Lantern. He's a Blue Lantern. He's some kind of alien. I don't. I can't remember what kind of alien he is. So he's like gray, and he has this long head. But he's a Blue Lantern. Blue. The Blue Lanterns are powered by hope. Right, their rings are powered by hope rather than the Green Lantern rings that are powered by will. And Saint Walker, as you might expect from his name, has a kind of spiritual dimension to him. It's not over the top, but it's definitely there. And it would be interesting to have a kind of spiritual kind of figure, uh, somebody with a spiritual search in this team. So that's my team. I I'll go with mine, and okay. I um, I don't have a name for mine, but I'm just thinking that the probably the center around which my team would be formed was um, the people that need to get in and do sort of the uh, undercover, stealthy types of work. So, of course, I would have Batman in there and <laughs> let him not be in there, right? Then I would put Spider-Man in there, but I would put Spider-Man in his black costume. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, so that he, well, that makes more sense visually. Yes, he can, he can get in and get out. Um I would put Snake Eyes from G.I. Joe. He's the perfect... Uh, How are you going to tell him apart from uh, Spider-Man in the black costume? <laughs> Basically the same costume. He have the white eyes. That's oh, okay. how. <laughs> um, I would put Martian Manhunter on the team because of his ability to, uh, his ability to morph into other forms and uh, be disguised. And I had one more that I was considering. Um... Where's your token woman? Good question. Well, I would say Jessica Jones should go on there. I think she's got that ability. Jessica Jones, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, there you go. I'll make that my team. Everybody wants Jessica Jones on their team. Wow. Do you want Jessica Jones on your team, too? Well, um, you know what? I I, I have to confess that I I, I didn't think of one. (laughs) Okay. But uh, but I'm I'm just thinking of... uh, because we mentioned the Samaritan and, and Superman, and uh, there's been so many um, like Superman analogs. What if they were like all together, you know, <laughs> in, in, in one team? I mean, they have so much in common, like Superman and and Supreme and uh, and the Samaritan. 
Who, who else do we have? I mean, you Captain Marvel is kind of a, a, an analog in its own company. Just you just have to be careful not to get uh, the the Superman analog from Mark Wade's Irredeemable. What was that guy's name? The Plutonian. Well, yeah. No, Since that guy's pretty much evil. <laughs> he so. could be the villain. You know? That's so, true. He would be. He would make a good villain for the that. Superman analogs team up against the um, uh, against the, the the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but there 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 are a few others, aren't there? Hyperion. From Marvel, mm-hmm. Hyperion, yeah, or, or the Sentry from the Sentry, yeah. I mean, um, to to a certain extent, almost every superhero with powers is a Superman analog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, but they'd, they'd be like the Cape, you know, the Cape Wonders yeah. or something like that. <laughs> well, uh, all all good ideas, uh, and uh, maybe we'll have to start writing fan fiction about some of these uh, potentials here. But uh, in the meantime, we'd love to hear what you think about teams. We'd love to hear what your dream team is. Tell us, tell us who you'd have on your dream team. And the best way to contact us, uh, since we don't yet have a watchtower from which we can beam all of this to you, uh, or um, uh, what's the name of the, the, the Baxter the building? We don't have the Baxter building either. Um, but, uh, but you can get in touch with us through social media. You can tweet at us. We are on Twitter, at God and Comics. Or you can catch us on Facebook, facebook.com slash God and Comics. And we'd love to interact with you there. But for now, we're going to move to our final segment, This or That. This or that. This or that. Come on, everybody. Let's this or that. Batman or Iron Man. This or that. Spider-Man or Superman. This or that. This or that. This or that. Come on, everybody, let's this or that. Huh? Take it away. All right. My first one this this uh, day goes to um, Father Jonathan. Plastic man or elongated man? I'll go with plastic man, I guess. I mean, they're basically the same guy in a lot of ways. But uh, plastic man has a sort of more interesting backstory. So yeah. um, I'll go with that. Plus, elongated man... You've got the whole, like, weirdness from the, um, what was I talked about it recently? That the part. identity crisis Yeah, the identity story. crisis story, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I'll go with Plastic Man. There's a great scene on um, the Batman Brave and the Bold cartoon where yeah. um, Plastic Man and Elongated Man are um, both present at the scene of a crime trying to stop it, and they get into a big fight about who's copying who. Nice. Nice. Of course, I think the real answer to your question is Mr. Fantastic, but... Uh, yeah, right. He's yeah. another one. Throw in the mix. <laughs> yeah. All right, Father Matt. Guardians of the Galaxy or the Great Lakes Avengers? Oh, I, I, you know what? I, I, I'm, I'm not really too familiar with either of those folks. <laughs> um, who's on the Great Lakes Avengers? Oh, it was like a mishmash. I don't even remember now. It was a mis- mishmash of uh, B grade heroes. Well, there's a there's and, a new one. Have you guys seen? There's a new Great Lakes Avengers book. I, I, I did. It. it looked kind of yeah, fun. Yeah, it looks good. It hasn't hit um, Marvel Unlimited yet, though, so I haven't read it. But oh, okay. But uh, I mean, but the Guardians of the Galaxy movie was was pretty fun. So I'll just I'll say the Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay. Sounds good. Father Jonathan. Donna Troy or Cassie Sandsmark as Wonder Girl? I think I'm going to go with Cassie. Uh, I feel like she kind of made that character her own 
Yeah, I think that's my answer for that. I've never, you know, as much of a Wonder Woman fan as I am, I've never really been like a big fan of Wonder Girl. I think that's kind of, I mean, of course, Wonder Girl, much like Superboy, started out just as the stories of the younger version of Wonder Woman. And it's only later that they went, oh, let's create separate characters out of it. And I've just never found, I've never found those characters to be all that, all that interesting. Yeah, I think Donna Troy, they did a lot better uh, back in Marv Wolfman's run on New Teen Titans. Mm-hmm. Um, her current incarnation, the one that, that uh, Meredith Finch did, I thought was just sort of bleh. Father Matt, uh, which is the better comic, Marvel Team Up or Brave and the Bold? Oh, I'm going to have to say Marvel Team Up just because that was like one of my favorite comic books from from when I was a kid. For many of the reasons that we talked about, uh, most of which is because a a lot of characters I was exposed to uh, for the first time through through, uh, Marvel Team Up. Uh, Black Panther is one in particular that I can think of that my first exposure to him was uh, when he appeared in the pages of Marvel Team-Up with Spider-Man. So I'm going to say Marvel Team-Up. Yeah, I think that was a tough call for me. That would have been a very tough call. I like both of those books growing up, but I do think maybe Marvel Team-Up had a slight edge. They, I always loved how they connected the stories. They kind of kept it all as one thing, right? And yeah. Rolled, rolled into the next team Yeah. Oh, and there was the one with Spider-Man and Captain Britain. Yeah. All right, Father Jonathan, the Extraordinary X-Men or the all-new X-Men? I haven't read Extraordinary yet. I've had it queued up for a long while. I think, does Jeff Lemire write that? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I really want to read it, but I haven't yet. Um, all-new X-Men I've really enjoyed. Um, I think I enjoyed it more when Bendis was writing it, though, I have to say, even though I like Dennis Hope, Hopeless. Um, he's, he's also writing Spider-Woman, um, and uh, so his, his run is, is, is okay. But, uh, yeah, Bendis is just always so good, and it's just it's a, it's a great idea. I'm not sure how they're going to end it. Eventually they're going to have to end it, because if they don't, they have to completely undo the whole universe, right? Because these guys right. eventually have to go back to where they were. Right. Um, but, uh, but just as a kind of fish-out-of-water story and as a way of sort of recovering some of what is great about the history of the X-Men that got kind of lost in the 90s. Well, not as much in the 90s, but definitely in the 2000s where everything just got dark and bleak and, you know, two-thirds of the team were supervillains and, you know, it just got ridiculous. So, uh, all new X-Men. All right, good choice. Uh, Now, shifting gears a little bit, on to a theological question. Father Matt, the 1928 Book of Common Prayer or the 1979 Book of Common Prayer? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I probably didn't say the 1979 Book of Common Prayer because that's the one that, you know, that, that's the reason why I became an Episcopalian. Um, you know, I, I, I first encountered the liturgy through the 1979 Book of Common Prayer. It's, uh, um, it's, it's certainly more familiar to me. I mean, I, I know there's 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 problems that you could find with it, but it's it just it's sort of been my home for for a long time now. It's sort of I feel a, a certain attachment and, and affinity to it. Um, so yeah, I'll say seventy nine. All right, that's a fair enough reason. Even though it's wrong, that's a fair. Enough reason. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, and I, I, you know what? I like I like the centrality of baptism in, in the seventy nine. Uh, yes. Bump, common prayer too. I think that's an improvement. Yes. Yeah. And and it kind of goes back to older prayer books, actually. And so I was like, yeah, yeah. Father Jonathan, yours is Philip Melanchthon or Theodore Beza. I don't know if I've ever read Beza. What refresh my memory? What's his What's his deal? Well, he's he's Calvin's disciple, as it were, and in some senses, oh, he's well, kind of the father Melanchthon. of modern Calvinism. <laughs> one might say. All that's all you had to say. Uh, we'll we'll go with Melanchthon then. And that would be the correct answer. Clearly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, two more, uh, Father Matt. Goobers or raisinets? What? Are, wait, what are goobers? Chocolate covered peanuts. Do they not make them anymore? Yeah. I, I don't and know. I don't think I've ever had them. Raisinets. Raisinets are female raisins. Just so you know. So <laughs> oh, yeah. continue. They're, they're kind of disgusting. <laughs> I they're just chocolate covered raisins. I never liked them. I remember getting them in Halloween and being like, Bleh. <laughs> 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 uh, so I don't know, but. Peanuts and chocolate are always a good match. So I, I, even though I've never tasted them, I'm going to say goobers. You'll have to find them. <laughs> and Father Jonathan, yours as we approach this upcoming Easter season is hollow chocolate rabbits or Cadbury cream eggs. See, it's torture that you would even ask me that because I haven't been able to eat chocolate since somewhere around 2011. Oh, I, I, I like to torture. Stomach issue that prevents it. So I, I, when I could eat them, I loved Cadbury cream eggs. Um, and uh, what a great way of, of mocking what is essentially a good food uh, by uh, turning it into just pure sugar. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Um, but it was, it was, they were fantastic. I loved them. So I, that's my answer for that. With, with the fake yellow yolk inside. Yes. Yeah. Very good. That's all I have for today. Uh, fuck, fuck me out. <laughs> that's right. That was the commercial one. Fuck, fuck me out. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, on that note, um, <laughs> <laughs> we are going <laughs> we are going to wrap it up for today's uh, program you can listen to the program again and see links to all of the rad stuff that we talked about on today's show by going to our show page at godandcomics.com you can also subscribe to us through iTunes and while you're on iTunes, we would love it if you would give the show a rating or a review, uh, or both, actually. Uh, it helps other people to find the program, and we really, really deeply appreciate you doing that. Uh, our theme music, which you are hopefully banging your head to right this moment, is by Father Paul Wheatley, who has been waiting all through the season of Lent for Easter so that he can finally break out of the giant hollow chocolate Easter bunny that he has encased himself in. Until next time, I'm Father Jonathan Michikin. I'm Father Kyle Fowler. I'm Father Matt Stromberg. And we'll see you after Easter. Take care, everybody.